Welcome to the Teaching Middle School ELA Podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Mitchell and Jessica Kanata. If you're looking for ways to bring rigor and engagement to your middle school ELA classroom without sacrificing your nights and weekends, then this podcast is for you. Our goal is to provide you with your weekly dose of tips, tools, and inspiration so you can actually enjoy teaching again. We'll help you bring the fun and creativity to your ELA lessons so that your students master the standards and you can leave school when the bell rings. Get ready to be that teacher you've always wanted to be to do great work and thrive. teachers. Well, we are so excited to be talking about the collaborative classroom with Trevor Muir, our guest on the podcast today. Trevor is a teacher, author, a TEDx speaker. He has a great TEDx speech. If you want to go check it out, um, definitely go Google that. We'll also include the link for you in the show notes of the podcast. And Trevor is also the host of another awesome podcast that you might want to check out called the Epic, the Epic Classroom. And Trevor inspires and equips educators with actionable ideas and proven best practices to facilitate successful collaboration. Authenticity and trust are at the heart of strong student teamwork. When students are engaged in meaningful, relevant group work, collaboration is no longer a struggle, but transforms into an anticipated dynamic practice with rich outcomes and deeper learning. And that's exactly what Trevor is here to talk about us with today. Trevor, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you all. <laughs> we like did some deep dives into you and your background and your podcast, and we are so impressed and just enthralled <laughs> by you. I, we're so excited to have connected with you. Well, I appreciate that. I get really excited about what I talk about. And so uh, s- sometimes uh, it's it's a, maybe extra as my students would have told me, but I like that. I like that. We can all appreciate across. that. <laughs> so Trevor, tell our teachers, our teachers are middle school ELA teachers, our listeners. Can you tell them a little bit more about yourself, like your teaching experience? Yeah, I've been a middle and high school elementary, or I'm sorry, elementary, ELA. I knew it started with an E and an L. Uh, <laughs> so I've been an English teacher as well. Um, and, you know, as a teacher of secondary students, my, my greatest love, the thing that got me into teaching in the first place was my love of writing personally. Mm-hmm. And I love to get students to get excited about that as well. And so that was really what fueled it all. And then that turned into finding new ways to connect with students and and started learning the power of relationships and connecting with them and finding ways to make learning for them more authentic and engaging in that way. And so, uh, but it really started with being an ELA teacher and and, uh, getting kids excited to write and read. I love that. You are literally speaking our love language. (laughs) I mean, what's your favorite thing to teach? Writing, writing, hands down. Writing, (laughs) yeah. I mean, because there's just so much flavor to it when you get students seeing that it, not as a task, but to be something to be excited to create mm-hmm. and share what's going on inside that wild, never ending, never stopping brain. And so um, it, it was a huge medium for me when I was a kid um, and a huge escape. And so I, I just love the challenge of trying to get students who think they hate uh, ELA and hate writing to actually fall in love with it the same way I did. Yes. And they begrudgingly tell you right at the end of the year, oh, Mrs. Mitchell, fine. 
I like writing, you know, yeah, and okay. you're like, yes, I won. <laughs> Maybe poems don't suck that bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so on today's podcast, as much as we love writing and we could talk about writing all day, we are going to talk about collaboration in the classroom. And I think this topic is so important, but I'd love for you to speak into, you know, where does this idea for collaboration in the classroom stem from in what we see in work and society today, right? How does that tie into what we're doing as teachers with our students in this regard? Well, I mean, if you just take a look at our society and work and politics and social media and the Thanksgiving table, like you, there's clearly this, uh, we're, we're clearly collaboration deprived right now. It seems like as a whole, there's lots and lots of people who have no idea how to work together, right? It's the number one skill that employers are looking for in new employees right now. I saw an article recently how the number one reason people are fired from their jobs isn't because they're not really strong writers. It's not because they're not smart. It's not because they don't understand how to factor polynomials. The number one reason people are fired from their jobs is because they don't know how to collaborate. They don't know how to work on teams. And, and you just look at the state of things and it's clear that, that we need to start really emphasizing how to collaborate well, how to uh, share ideas with other people, how to give and receive constructive criticism, how to work on teams and groups with people who you might not be friends with, who you might not necessarily get along with, but you still have this common task together. And so there's, there's clearly a need, and I really like to start with that. And I think anybody would agree with that. Um, you know, I often talk about social uh, on my social media pages about collaboration. And I asked recently to a whole bunch of teachers, raise your hand if you think we could use more collaboration in our society. And there was like this unanimous conclusion amongst teachers. Thousands of people just agreed like, yes, we desperately need more collaboration. And yet when you look at the education experience and you look at so many classrooms in America, but then also around the world, you see seating that is aligned for the individual. You see grading systems that's all about my success, my achievement, my advancement onto the next grade. Like it's, it all seems to be very individual. And I think there's a lot of power in the individual. So don't get me wrong. Like I think there's something beautiful about empowering individuals to be autonomous and, and, and forge their own paths. But there's also just this stark reality that we need teamwork and, and collaboration in our society. And yet so much of the education system doesn't seem to be set up to teach students how to do that well. Um, and why do you think so, that is? Go ahead, Jess, because I, I have so much I want to say I know already. <laughs> so if we, we see the value in this, teachers are listening and they're like, absolutely, right on. Like we need 100%. to be doing this. How come they're not then? Or how come many teachers find it so challenging to do it? Well, I mean, because it is challenging. Like collaboration is hard to do. Even if you're a trained professional who works on teams all the time, it's hard to give constructive feedback. It's hard to receive constructive criticism and, and be able to receive it and actually iterate and do something with it. It's, it's hard to hold somebody accountable who's not carrying their weight or what I like to call hogs and logs, right? Like in every group, whether you're an adult or you're a student in a group project, you've got those people who are hogs and they just insist on taking all the work and they don't let you contribute. Or you've got the logs, the ones who just lay there and, and like a log and just get dragged along and just get all the same credit as everybody else. Like collaboration's hard to do and it's really hard to manage and teach especially because a lot of students come to our classes without these skills. 
because so much of the individual um, is emphasized that they often come to our classes and we say, okay, let's work in groups. And there's often a resounding, I don't know how. And, mm -hmm. and so I just absolutely empathize when teachers don't want to do group work because it's hard. I also understand that teachers often want to do group work, but again, the system doesn't seem to be made up for them to do that. You know, they say, okay, I want to make sure my students learn how to collaborate and work well on teams, but I also need to make sure that they're really prepared for spring testing. And that's very individual. Or, hey, I might not have the protocols or the support to put my students into groups and have them truly collaborate. And my evaluation is really about student engagement and participation. And that's a lot easier when they're sitting in rows and they don't have the distraction of socialization. And so I think a lot of teachers understand the need because who doesn't understand the need mm -hmm. for us to collaborate more as a society? So I think they understand it, but then there's a lot of barriers in the way. Um, but then I also think there's a reality that we have to help teachers and we have to help each other learn how to teach collaboration well and, yeah. and come alongside and share that wisdom and share tools and resources and best practices that work. I love all of this so much, especially, and I didn't share this with you, Trevor, before we started, but I was a basketball coach for many years. And so, and I played basketball. So, so much of what I do in life, like equates to, or becomes a metaphor for sports, right. Or sports becomes a metaphor for life. And I just think of some of the best teams that exist, like the golden state warriors, right. Mm -hmm. The basketball team, they are a group of individuals who play as a team. Yes. Right. Whereas then you look at LeBron playing for his team, like that's a bunch of individuals who just want to win, who aren't working together as a team. Yep. And so the team com component creates so much connection and, you know, ability toward working toward a common goal in so many different areas of life. It is so important. Oh, and that analogy works so well for the classroom, mm -hmm. because I think one of the things that we we mess up when we think about collaboration is we actually define it wrong. Um, I think a lot of people hear collaboration in school and they think, oh, I'm going to have to put my students at a table and they're going to have to work with each other at all times. And we know that sometimes we need to work apart from each other. Sometimes we need autonomy. You know, if you're an introvert and you're asked to be in a group for eight hours a day and you're in elementary, I mean, like Jessica, what would happen if you had elementary students working at a table all day together. How would that go? Chaos. And I'd be exhausted. And you know that there are students that don't do well with that. So why set them up for that experience? Exactly. But that's not what collaboration is. I, I see the, the most common definition of collaboration is students contributing their, their knowledge and their skills and their resources to achieve a common goal. Mm. And so while like, you know, the warriors are a team, but they work individually as a team as well, right? Like Steph Curry works on his shooting a thousand shots a day, and then he brings that to the team and contributes. But it's not like he's with those four other guys at all times practicing. He works out at home and, and he eats and he has a nutritional diet and he does all these things individually and then brings it to the team to achieve that common goal of a championship which hasn't happened in a while. Just want to throw oh, that out. You know what? what? Yes. <laughs> You're talking there. to two Bay Area gals right here, okay? okay? Well, I just wanted to throw that out there. I, I think the Lakers have won since they did, didn't they? Um, uh, anyway. They have. Anyways. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, moving on. But you know what I mean? Like, And so I, it's the same with students. It's, hey, we can collaborate in different parts of the classroom or even different parts of the school. So when I would say like, okay, how do we have a successful collaborative time together? What if we put our students together in a group 
and that their group mates and they come up with a game plan of what needs to get done and they can use a tool like what i have is called a project management log and it's kind of basically a spreadsheet where we list all the tasks that need to be done mm -hmm. and we put a name next to who's going to cover each task and they assign together a due date when do you expect to have that task done and you put it all on a spreadsheet and then you can say okay go work and so if one student needs to go and edit videos on his computer, he can go do that. And if one student needs to go research, he can go over there. And if one student needs to go outside and film something with his phone, he can do that. They're not having to always be together. But then at the end of class, you can say, okay, everybody, let's bring it back together and, and talk with each other. What got done? What still needs to get done? What do you need help with? Where do you need support? Let's give each other feedback, whatever it is. And, and now all of a sudden collaboration doesn't feel like this hectic, chaotic time mm -hmm. Where students are just knocking heads or socializing too much or whatever they're they're working independently for a cooperative task i love well, that so much that's exactly how we run our business i was just gonna say <laughs> that it's so authentic and it's yeah. like it makes total sense well and then you have to lean in you get to rather lean into like different aspects of team of collaboration mm. right they everyone has to trust that their classmates are going to do what they say they're going to do everyone yep is responsible for their role. So now they have a commitment to that responsibility to their team to show up. Um, so it, it ties into so many other life skills beyond just being able to collaborate with people that are hugely important for our students to be able to practice with, right? Oh, hundred percent. And then also what if you equip students with, with protocols in order to hold each other accountable. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like, so if somebody's not carrying their load or they're just riding on a coattail, what if your students had the language to actually do something about it? So they don't just have to get frustrated and put it all in and, and hold it all in until the very end. And then usually leading to explosions or, or teams being really frustrated with each other. What if you taught them like, Hey, what if you gave your teammates a warning? Or what if you use language like likes and wonders? Hey, I really like what you were working on, I wonder if you could do it more. You know what I mean? And or, or what if you have tools? I, I, I use a group contract with students, mm -hmm. um, even future teachers who I work with at the university level. Um, before any collaborative work time, I give students a group contract and I lead them through a discussion where they set expectations for their time together. So they basically say, we all agree that we will not be on our phones when we're working. We all agree if we're absent, we're going to check in with our teammates within 24 hours of being absent. Or we all agree that if we set a due date for each other, we're going to get it done by that time. And, and then have them all sign those contracts and come up with some protocols. Like what happens if somebody violates that? Uh, when does it all, all come to the teacher eventually so where I have to step in and intervene? Like what does this actually look like? Um, and so when you give students protocols like that, it sets them up for success, but then it also gives them practices that they can use beyond the protocol. And so maybe I require that you use, I like, I wonder language when you're talking to group mates, but then hopefully when you're out of my class and you're moving on into the career world, you still know how to use that language. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you can say to your teammates at your company, Hey, I really like what you're working on here. Or, Hey, I wonder if you could show up on time for the meeting next time. Um, or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like the, the hope would be that the skill, these attributes would go beyond sk school and be something that just makes our society better and more collaborative. Right. I'm going to remember everything that you just said, because I don't use, I wonder, and I mm. see how that is so powerful and I'm going to start using that now. So thank you. You've just, I've just walked away with something incredibly powerful. Appreciate <laughs> well, that. <laughs> good. I didn't make it up. I, it's something I learned from a brilliant teacher. And I just, what I love is that when you have protocols, that, that you require in the classroom and being pretty rigid about it. Like you need to say, I like, I wonder when giving constructive feedback, but then you start seeing students use it because it's helpful.
and mm-hmm. it, it's more it's well received it's better received than saying hey you need to do this or i want you to do this or you have to do this instead it's i wonder if you could do this so can i ask then so you're setting up all these protocols to set your students up for success right what about the student who's maybe more sensitive or quiet in a group and they're hearing these likes and the wonders and how do you teach them to accept that critical feedback do you know what i mean like to oh, not yeah take it personally and then still contribute, but let their voices be heard. There's a lot going on there with kids who might not normally um, step up. Yeah. I mean, that's such a good question. And I think the truth is it's not easy. You know what I mean? Like, and so if you expect to like, Oh, here's a a three-step process to make it easy to give and receive critical feedback, especially if you're a timid student, I just don't think it comes easy pretty much for anyone. Mm -hmm. And you know, me as a person who's public with his work, I get constructive feedback all the time on the things I create. And it still feels like a punch to the gut. You know what I mean? Like still even getting a a three-star rating on my podcast or getting (laughs) an evaluation from a student that's negative. I'm like, it still hurts. And so I think it's important to say that. But also I think for timid students, it's really helpful to model these skills and these expectations ourselves. And so asking, finding opportunities to have students learn to give me that type of criticism and show them how I actually react to it. Um, you know, there's a protocol I do that's um, with students all the time. It's called tuning. And, and it's the opportunity for them to have a, a really structured time to give and receive critical feedback. And so I have a group of students present to a, a large group or even to small groups. And they say, okay, here's the idea, or here's what I'm creating, or here's the website I'm working on, or here's the document, whatever it is, they present for an allotted amount of time. And then I say, okay, if you just present it, I want you to turn and face away from the class. And now as a class, we're going to share with each other what we like about what you created and what we wonder you could do to improve it. And so we do that while the other group, while the presenters are turned and facing away and they're just recording on their laptops or on paper, everything that they're hearing and they're not allowed to contribute to the conversation. So we're not saying, Hey, you need to do this to improve this, or I, this wasn't very good. You should do this. It's instead, I really like the color scheme you chose, or I like the font that you chose, or I like that you're considering this group of people. I wonder if the yellow font is a little too bright and we can't see it. I wonder if you need to find more culturally responsive images, whatever it is, they're sharing these things and then the students are turned away, therefore not getting that personal feel to the critical feedback and also allowing the group that's sharing feedback to be much more open and honest because they're not feeling like, oh, I, I don't wanna offend them and they're looking at me. And, and so to me, like by doing something like that helps it make it a little less personal and it's good practice for students so that at some point they don't need to turn away from the group. They can face somebody and just give and receive that feedback. But I think using something like tuning might make it a little bit easier. It's so tangible. I love it. Like it's something I can easily implement in the classroom tomorrow. And I would see the results of that. Very cool. Yeah. And such a powerful skill too, for just anybody to learn, you know, in anything that we do, I think as human beings, we want to do it well, right? We want to be great. And in order to be great, we have to be, we get to be open to feedback from people. And sometimes that's really, really hard. And I know, you know, in my own role in the company, in, in leadership, I really want to grow in leadership. And that comes with, you know, paying the price of, of having my feelings maybe hurt a little bit of the things that I don't do well. But once I'm able to be open to receiving that feedback, that's only going to help me grow. Right. And it's almost like this whole concept of being in discomfort for a brief period of time 
in order to grow into like the next box outside of the box that you currently exist in, right? Well, and, and that's the secret sauce is the awareness that it's temporary discomfort. And it's discomfort. Like, I don't think I'm ever gonna like constructive criticism. Like, I don't think I'm ever gonna be like, oh, lay it on me, that feels great. <laughs> you know, one of the things I get to do a lot is, is go and speak to groups of teachers. And, you know, I remember it was probably two summers ago, uh, um, I, I gave a keynote speech and I thought it went great. And they gave all of the participants at it a survey to let me know what you liked about my talk and what you didn't like. And I think 99 out of 100 of them, and I mean that I actually kept all of, they gave me this feedback afterwards. I kept all of them. 99 out of 100 was just glowing positivity. And I loved it. It was like, oh, he was so engaging. He was so funny. I like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, this is great. It's making my head nice and big. I'm just gonna keep doing all these things. And then there was one person who gave me like a one out of five. And I was like, ooh, that's harsh. And I read their comments and they said something that was like a punch to the gut. I'm trying to think what it was. They said something like, he always wants to crack a joke when he's serious. And it would be better if he allowed himself just to be serious in those moments. And nobody else said anything about that. And I'd given this talk many, many times that I'd never heard that before. And it was just this one person who said it and, and 99 people didn't say anything like that. And yet that stuck with me and I got all mad. And I remember getting frustrated about it and be like, what the heck? Like, what does this guy even know? Why is he trying to bring my average down? And I just remember carrying that negativity with me all day long, that constructive criticism um, until like later that night, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, you do do that though. Mm-hmm. Like you do want to crack the tension. You are uncomfortable when sometimes you need to let the heaviness just settle. And you, and you do like to just find a way to make people laugh and not them let them feel too much pain. Like you do that. And somebody was finally honest about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so from then on, I just, I remember the next time I gave that same talk, I was very cognizant and intentional about not breaking the tension when I didn't need to instead just allowing the emotion to sit with it. And I've done that ever since. And I felt like that constructive criticism while feeling like a punch to the gut was the best thing someone could have given me. And so while it still hurts to get it, I do try to approach almost everything I do with as much of open palms as possible. Cause I just know that, that it all has this opportunity to work on me. What like that is, the perfect example. I love that so mm. much. You should send him a thank you note if you can find who he is and where he lives and be like, you I've literally changed my life. It. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> um, but also too, even if we don't agree with the person's feedback, That's that right. allows us to step into our own power and our way of being and be okay with that too, mm-hmm. you know? And so what a, what a great skill to teach students. And you've spoken to some different ways of doing this, right? How we can teach collaboration. And you talked about different things that you've done in the past. Um, is there anything else that you would want to share in terms of like, you know, helping students learn how to hold each other accountable in the classroom, or maybe even a different specific example of, of how to bring collaboration into the classroom with a project-based learning assignment or something along those lines. Yeah. You know, I find the best. Oh, so like I said earlier, collaboration's hard, right? It's a difficult thing to do. And so I would say the best way to get kids to collaborate is give them a good reason to like my favorite quote in the whole world is a strong why allows us to withstand anyhow, right? Like, and there, and there's a lot of 
hows to collaborating and and we've already listed all of them but there's a lot of that goes into successfully collaborating but if i have a good enough reason for it i'm going to put up with difficult people i'm going to ex receive that constructive criticism if if achieving this this why that matters to me is important enough I'm going to do the hard work of working on a team and collaborating with somebody. And I'm sure as a basketball coach, you've seen that. Like it's sometimes hard to get kids to want to run. What's the correct term now? Lines to run lines. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, like, it, it, it's probably not easy to motivate kids to do those hard things, but if they understand what the payoff is all of a sudden, you know, asking them to run lines or, or sprint up and down bleachers or whatever it is, isn't as big of a question. And so I think in the classroom, the biggest thing we have to ask ourselves is, is the task that my students are doing meaningful enough to make them want to actually do this collaborative work? What's the deep underlying purpose of their work? And, and it's great. You said the, the term project-based learning. I am a huge advocate for PBL because at its core, project-based learning is actually just purpose-based learning. It's finding ways to give purpose to student work. And if you can do that, if you can help students see like, hey, what you're doing isn't just for the grade book and it's not just to make your parents happy and it's not just to move on to the next grade. What you're doing is helping refugees assimilate into our culture or it's it's helping to raise money for the homeless or we're helping to create a community garden in our school or we're trying to save the bee population or whatever it is. If we can help students see the bigger reason and, and it's worth working in groups and collaborating in order to achieve this goal, what you find is a huge uptick and in, in students collaborating and collaborating well. And there's even research to support that. When students are doing purposeful service learning, mm -hmm. there is a measurable growth in their social development, meaning students literally become more collaborative when they're doing work that actually matters. Yeah. Yeah. Of well, course. it's like finding yeah. your purpose. I even have a little thing right here. It says, Love remember it. your why. <laughs> so those of you on the podcast, yes. I'm sharing just a little <laughs> note that I have that says, remember your why, why do we do what we do? You know, and, and every, and everything, you know, oh. in our relationships with people in our jobs and working out or whatever it is, our hobbies, you know, remembering that why is what keeps us motivated and moving forward. Oh, and, and for educators, like there has never been a time more important than right now to remember your why, because yeah. being an educator is hard hard work right now, especially right now, when you talk about all of the, what COVID has done and, and current affairs and just politicians and social media and all this stuff, it, it's as hard as it's ever been. And so it's just so important to take time and remember and reflect on why do I do this? Like, what is the big thing that drives me mm -hmm. that's going to help me overcome all of the hows along the way? So Trevor, I mean, hearing this, I'm sitting here inspired. I'm not even in the classroom anymore, but I can see how teachers listening are like, yes, I want to do this. I want to bring collaboration into my classroom. I want to do project-based learning. Can you give us like a baby step they can take right now to just move in that direction without feeling the overwhelm, but maybe like starting to think about it more? Such a good question. I would say this. I think the best baby step you could take is look at a pre-existing unit that you already have and ask the question, how can I make this more authentic for my students? And I know that's not directly connected to collaboration, but if you can take a unit that already exists, you don't have to design a whole big project, but if you took a unit and said, okay, I'm already going to teach this grammar unit. I wonder if there's something my students could do that, that, that means something to them. And therefore they would have to learn this grammar in order to achieve that task. And, and could they work in groups in order to achieve it? So for instance, let's say 
um, you know, I worked with a third grade teacher recently and she worked with her students. She took them to a park right across from the school and they pointed out or she pointed out all of these invasive species growing everywhere. It's called garlic mustard and it's all over the place. This was actually in Ohio. And so there's this garlic mustard. Yeah, I know. And it smelled just like the Buckeyes, but uh, it was... <laughs> Caitlin, I don't know if your listeners know, Caitlin has a connection to Ohio. My husband is from Ohio. <laughs> well, that's a connection. And I have a connection to teasing. So, um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so she, there was these invasive species and she said to her students that these invasive species are taking over this park that they all love to play in. And we need to get rid of them. They don't belong here and they're destroying all of the natural plant life. And so for that project, while her students were learning about invasive species, they were also learning grammar because they were creating posters to put all over town, inviting people to go and pick up those invasive species and pull them from the park and get rid of them. So now all of a sudden there's something that really matters to these kids protecting their park. And to do this, we're gonna have to put up these posters, but if there's bad grammar or bad spelling in the poster, nobody's gonna pay attention to it. Nobody's gonna take you seriously. So let's learn some spelling and grammar. And so now this teacher's still teaching those ELA standards. And you can do this in middle or high school too. She's still teaching those standards, but now we're learning this content so that we can work in groups to go and solve this problem that matters to us. We're still using the best practices to teach grammar. Only now there's this authentic motivator. And so when that teacher says, okay, guys, I want you to get into groups and you need to figure out who's going to do the artwork, who's going to do the graphic design and who's going to do the grammar and writing and the copy, figure that out. You're going to work on that together. Now students are collaborating and they're giving all these opportunities to give and receive critical feedback, but they're also solving this problem at their park and they're learning grammar at the same time, which it's purposeful learning. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that would be a baby step, not necessarily planning a huge project, but just asking that question. How can we take something I already have and make it more authentic? I love that. My wheels are turning because I work in the curriculum part of our business. I'm already thinking, okay, for these upcoming short story units, we're going to ask ourselves that question. How can we make it more authentic? It's so good. Yeah. I mean, and it could be as simple as like, hey, we're going to write short stories. What if we wrote them for an audience? So at mm -hmm. the end of the unit, we're going to put them all in a box and we're going to send them to a retirement home. So, so elderly people who have been desperately lonely because of COVID now we're getting a chance to read your stories. And all of a sudden by having that authentic audience that just heightens the level of engagement with students. You need to not have, you need to have good grammar, not just because the common core says so, you need to have good grammar so that we can effectively connect with these elderly people who need connection, right? Like that's, that's authenticity. And, and I think you could do that with any unit, any short story unit, any, anything. That's Definitely. super outside the box thinking. When you said grammar, I was like, where is this going to go? Because I am not following. <laughs> and you totally made such a great connection. So I think for our listeners, you know, that's hugely powerful. That's a great first step to start. I know sometimes, you know, we hear a new idea and then we get frozen with overwhelm and yes. wanting it to be perfect. And it doesn't have to be. And having this question at the forefront of our minds to start to think about collaboration in a different way is a great first starting place. So thank you so much for that, Trevor. Is there anything else that you'd kind of like to, to add on or to finish on um, before we head out for the podcast? Yeah, I, I, I would just say the last thing is, is, and I started by saying this, is that sometimes the structure and the system in our schools aren't built for you to have really strong collaboration yet. And, and so I would say, even though I'm a huge advocate of it and I love to write about it and speak about it and make videos about it and we all understand it, 
if there are some restrictions, you know, if there's, if there's only so much capacity for it, I just would say, don't beat yourself up about it, but just find more and more opportunities whenever you have them to have students collaborate and work together in groups. Mm -hmm. And sometimes collaboration isn't right. Sometimes you need to have students working by themselves and that is okay. Um, and so I, I just want to make sure I never come across as, oh, teachers have to be doing this or do, they're doing it wrong. Instead, I would, I would say, how can you consider doing it more? Mm -hmm. um, and, I wonder I, if you could I consider. <laughs> there you go. So good. I like how you're doing it some. I wonder if you could do it more. <laughs> Love it, Trevor. Where can our listeners find more of you to connect with you? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I started a podcast just a couple months ago. It's called the Epic Classroom Podcast. And so you can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts. I've been really enjoying talking about things like this and other things um, on the podcast. So you can find me at the Epic Classroom there, or you can go to my website, trevormuir.com, where I put a lot of my videos and my blog and ways to connect with me there. And then also all, all over social media, you can just search my name. So Great. Well, well, thank you so much, Trevor. It was honestly, I, I mean, no offense to anyone else who's come on our podcast. Everyone's wonderful, but I think you're one of the top like five. Definitely. Like, I just adored this conversation. It was wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. It's all my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. All right, teachers, we will see you next week on the podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.